Welcome to No Ordinary Life. Most of us are highly aware of the extremely successful in this world. The Elon Musks, the Warren Buffetts, and of course the Steve Jobs. We can't help but hear their stories. Books are written and movies are made about these high performers, these overachievers. And these are great, inspiring stories that show us what can be done when you put your mind to it. But what about the people you never hear about? The person standing in front of you in the grocery line. That guy down the street who drives the minivan with duct tape on it. What about that family that were gone for almost three months while someone else lived in their house? What's up with that? These are the stories that no ordinary life will explore. The stories that we don't actually get to hear about but should. Stories about ordinary people. People you may know but had no idea about the types of choices they've made in order to get to where they are. The risks that they have taken and the decisions that they have made so that they could live no ordinary life. But we were able to work in Korea for about six months in a club there, and it was crazy. Hey everybody, this is Brent Rogers with the No Ordinary Life podcast. Today, I have with me my good friend, Dallas James. And Dallas James is a uh, one-woman dynamo. She has, she is a mom of three kids. She's been a singer, she's been a worship leader, she's been an entrepreneur, she's been a salesperson, she's been a customer service person. She has also taken her kids on a tour in the Caribbean, which we'll talk a little bit about. And she's also made the transition from being kind of an ordinary person in an ordinary town to becoming a farmer, which is a little bit crazy and not kind of the ordinary choice. So let me take the opportunity to welcome Dallas James. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Now, I have known you for a very, very long time. I mean, I think we met when you were 15, which yep. means we've known each other for at least seven years. <laughs> so, yep. Mm-hmm. And we met at Muskoka Woods, right? Yes. So you were a housekeeper there. I was on the hospitality crew cleaning the dining halls, and you were water ski staff. I was. Yes, I and was, we had a great summer. I was way cooler because Obviously. I was water ski <laughs> Obviously, staff. yes. So yeah, we connected there, and we connected like right away, mm-hmm. and I can't even remember really what it was, but the Same. two of us just laughed. I don't remember meeting you, but I remember we laughed, and then we laughed our entire way through <laughs> high school, and we were inseparable, and it was such a amazing time actually it was I remember it fondly yeah well and here's the thing like I remember meeting your parents Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking man this is kind of the family for me these people Mm -hmm. are kind of crazy Mm -hmm. and they don't mind me being crazy they don't think I'm uh you know, trying to bring attention to myself. If anything, they're asking me to do this yes, stuff. Yes, we gave you a stage at every opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that about your family. <laughs> and as a result, I have never met a microphone that didn't love me mm, because of that. I know the feeling. Now, why don't you tell me a little bit about your family because I really love them and your, you know, our listeners, all seven of them, are already intrigued by your family. So why don't you tell me a little bit about growing up? Sure. Uh, as far as I remember, we were normal. But maybe not so much. I was born in Switzerland and we lived in Germany till I was six because my dad was in a rock band and they were touring Europe. And so there's a group of us who were all born over there and we're the tour babies, basically. And then we moved to Canada and uh, lived in Millican Mills, Warden and Steels, 
and, um, you know, went to school. My mom, I believe, ran a home daycare so she could be home with the kids. I have two younger brothers, and we were kind of just the normal suburban family from that time forward. But music was a big deal. Yes. Um, we always had music on in the house. It was always loud. It was always loud. It's true. I remember thinking your dad, mm-hmm. who for me, any dad at that point in time was an old guy. And I remember thinking, this dude listens to the music loud. Yes. Like super loud. Yes. And when all of my friends' fathers were playing the Gaither Brothers, my <laughs> father was playing Earth, Wind and & Fire, Fire yes. Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, all on vinyl and cranked at a level where you couldn't have a conversation across the room. It was so loud. I don't know why. I don't know if he was just used to the clubs, but that's how I, that's how I learned to listen to music is at a high volume. So for me, that was a big difference, like hanging out with this family because my dad was the one who's also a singer, mm-hmm. but cut his teeth in quartets. Mm-hmm. So the Gaither family was a big deal in my oh, house. Yes. Um, so when it comes to that whole musical aspect, you've got, you know, your dad has toured in a rock band. Your mom's pretty normal and your dad has kind of moved into normal life, so mm-hmm. to speak. He's taken mm-hmm. on a regular job. How did that affect you growing up? I mean, we've talked a little bit about how there was music all the time, but mm-hmm. how did that affect you personally? I don't remember that change. I don't remember much of when he was in the band. I think probably because he wasn't home a lot. So it's just, I just remember mom and I. Mm-hmm. We were always involved in music in other capacities, though, primarily with the church. My dad was a singer there or a worship leader there, and um, I sort of followed in that those footsteps. The other thing is, um, my dad especially was always keen to take me to live concerts. So from a very young age, I remember going to live concerts as often as possible, and then as soon as I was of age... We would go down to Queen Street and go to the Horseshoe or say what, and just live music was also a really big part of our lives, and that was part of my musical education. Now, speaking of musical education, you did decide to kind of, my, the way I remember it was, you were thinking, this is where I'm going. I'm going into music. I'm going into singing. Yeah, and now that I look back, I think part of it is I didn't feel like I could do anything else. I loved music, don't get me wrong. I knew I would never be a huge, uh, quote-unquote, star. But my wheelhouse, I I learned as I pursued it um, educationally, was really doing backup vocals and studio work because I was good at mimicking tonality and, and sound and cadence in other voices, and I loved that. I loved going into the studio laying down tracks, getting paid, and leaving. There's zero pressure. And I loved performing as a backup singer as well. And that's um, what I was able to do for quite a bit. I did travel to um, Asia. Can I jump into this? Yeah. Um, With a band called Motor City that my good friend Peter Tong put together. And he built a band uh, based on the criteria that they wanted there, which was a blonde white girl, a black girl, and then the rhythm section, the criteria wasn't quite as strict, but we were able to work in Korea for about six months in a club there, and it was crazy. Like, we were the shit. Like, it was a big deal. We would pack out this club every night. We would sing till 2 a.m., and just, it was a party, party, party. 
And then we repeated the process in China a couple years later. So it allowed me to see some of Asia and work as a singer. And it was amazing. Wow, that is very cool. I remember when you went to Korea. I didn't realize, ah, you know what? I remember when you went to China as well. Um, let's get back to that. Yeah. You also went to school for the arts, right? So yeah. Unionville High School is an art school, mm -hmm. and you went there specifically for that, right? Right. So I went to high school out of our um, district, I mm -hmm. guess, um, or boundaries. I had to audition to get in, and I took music. Vocal was my major, which meant that I graduated with 700 credits. 677 of them were arts-related. I see. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you went to... Humber College. Humber to study jazz. Okay. Which now, was, yeah. Now, you ended up at Canada's Wonderland during this. Yes, so I did a summer stint at Canada's Wonderland singing in their shows, which was a great job as a 16-year-old. As a, a, For our American listeners, uh, Canada's Wonderland is a bit like Darien Lake or yeah. Bush Gardens. Now, I'm, I'm interrupting here because at that point, Dallas forced me to audition at Canada's Wonderland. I don't even remember well. this. Yes, you did. You were like, you gotta yes, do it. Yes, you yes. gotta do. I'm like, no way. I'm not a singer. I'm not. Yes. A, I'm just a performer. And you're like, you have to do it. And I did. Uh, <laughs> I did Rick Astley. Yes. I did. I Rick rolled before Rick rolling was a thing. So I just wanted to bring that up because it was super embarrassing mm. for me, and it went very, very badly. You got the job. I was, they were like, thank you, smiling, thank gritting you. their teeth, and I'm like, oh, If it I makes you feel any better, I auditioned a few times after and didn't get hired either. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So then you did the Canada's one thing. I would assume that you kind of learned more about performing there than you had at any point in time. I learned more about the grind, doing the same show five times a day, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. That, you know, just the work of it. I developed shin splints and, you know. Wow. All the likes, um, my voice had never worked so hard just because it was such a consistent over and over and over. So um, I loved it, and then some days it took the love out of it, and it was just a job. Sure. So then you were, you were off to school. You did the school thing. You were taking mm -hmm. jazz at Humber. Yeah, because I wanted to perform, uh -huh. and if you wanted to go into education to teach music, you would have gone to Western or U of T or York. But Humber at that point was known for um, graduating you into the industry as a performer. I see. And that's when Korea and China came up. Correct. So it was in towards the end of my second year, I got the call um, to audition to go to Korea. And I actually remember really humming and hawing about this and not knowing if I should go. I'd never been away from home. Well, I had, but not overseas. And my friend, Jeannie Annan. I know Jeannie, yes. She, when I told her about the opportunity, her response was, well, of course you're going to go, right? And um, that just kind of pivoted me. And I realized, yeah, of course I'm going to go, right? And so I did. But it was massively out of my comfort zone. I'm a real homebody. And I was then as well. And so to just up and leave to a foreign country... Um, now I, I did have my bandmates, so it wasn't like I was completely isolated, but it was, it was a real challenge for me, which I'm so glad I did. So what are your takeaways from that then? What, what were the takeaways from that? I guess surely right. musically, but also it sounds personally like there would probably be some takeaways that came from that. Yes. And I think in hindsight, again, 
realizing, oh, if I can do this, I can do anything. It just gave me this um, confidence. And it was funny. I'd come home and think, oh, we, we live where everyone speaks the same language. This is a breeze. Things, life is a breeze here. You know, um, I don't know. It just changed your perspective. It also gave me a real appreciation for other cultures. Um, not that I was particularly isolated before because I did live in Europe for a bit and then we lived in a very multicultural area. But just it just sort of blows your heart open a little bit more to understanding and compassion when you are the one somewhere not knowing how to get around, not knowing how to communicate, and you just need help. And then being in Toronto, which is a massively multicultural city, mm-hmm. and English as a second language is probably more common than English as a first language, it seems. There's a little more empathy, a little more sympathy when you're, you're dealing with that person that can't quite communicate. Absolutely, there was. Yeah, yeah. Out, of their, out of their own, out of their own uh, comfort zone themselves being Absolutely. in a foreign place. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. So when you got back from Korea and China, what happened then? What were you doing after that? Um, pretty much like a few months after I got back from China, Doug and I got married. Was it that so, close together? Yes, because yes, you were. Yes, because he proposed to me in China. That's right. He came over to visit, and we got per- engaged on the wall. He Everybody came- in the audience is now going, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he then flew home, and I got home, I think, in September, and we were married in December. Mm-hmm. So we planned our wedding virtually before virtual existed. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It wasn't that big a deal to me, like, to have a big wedding um not size just you know the wedding industry buzz that wasn't that big a deal that's messy that's okay and then um i remember that too because it was at muskoka woods Mm -hmm. which is where i got married which is where we met doug and i met Mm -hmm. and you and i met and i met doug at muskoka woods as well in fact Mm -hmm. i think i may have known doug before you know knew Mm -hmm. doug um so there's that connection as well so now you're married, mm-hmm. and Doug has become a police officer. Mm-hmm. Prob- was he already a police officer at this point? We got married in December, and I believe in January he went away to police college. We, we spent a lot of our lives apart. Well, that's the thing, though. It's, it's like I don't think people realize what people are doing. It's, mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of obvious, but it's this perception that everybody's got it all together mm-hmm. and that everybody has this normal way of doing things. It's the same as me. I spend, you know, X amount of time with my spouse. That's the way we do it is through routine. But the reality is you had no real routine for the for the first, yeah. you know, most uh, important parts of your relationship. Yeah. So for the first three months, he was away at police college in Elmer, and he would come home on weekends. And then when he was finished that, he um, started working with Toronto police. So we were... Our reality, I think, was different than uh, a lot of people's because we were dealing with shift work, mm-hmm. new marriage, and then not long after that, a new baby. Mm-hmm. Max came a year late, two years later. Um, so it was it was stressful. Um, being married to a police officer is very challenging. Um, they're either not there a lot, or when they are home, they're sleeping, or when they're awake, they're miserable. So it came with a lot of difficulties and strain on our marriage. And what was the what was the prescription for that in terms of dealing with it? Was it more time together? Was it less time? 
How do you deal with that sort of thing? Well, for us, we had to find our rhythm and find our normal. And I, we've never really been a couple that relies on each other a lot. You know how some couples are always together and do things, just love and are always together. Yeah. We have never been that way. And in that sense, it's good. We're both pretty independent and can be on our own for long periods of time, which is great. Not that we don't enjoy being together. We do. Um, we found for us it was really key to um, travel together. We both love traveling. And um, every few years or so, we would try to do a getaway of some sort without the kids. Recharge. And bless my parents for taking our young babies so that we could go. Because otherwise, our normal life, we, you know, we could never institute that date night that a lot of couples right. do or anything like that just because of Doug's career. So Now, career-wise for you... You were now working at a church as a worship leader, yes? Um, I was gigging full-time okay. uh, still and doing session work full-time uh, till a couple years into our marriage. And then I got hired on by the church to be a worship leader. Okay. And then that ran its course. Mm -hmm. Kids came into the picture. You yep. are now no longer just with Max. You had Tia. Tia. Mm -hmm. And then Claire came along later on, mm -hmm. uh, which I believe was a little bit of a surprise. A little right? bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so once the worship leading uh, side of things was done, you moved into Arbonne, is that correct? Kind of thing. Their philosophy was just really green, which I loved. And so I started with them. I've never really loved the network marketing component. That hustle um, wasn't my favorite thing. But what I learned from being around entrepreneurs was the power of dreaming, uh, the power of goal setting, and of just thinking beyond yourself. And really, that's the biggest takeaway from that company. I don't think I would be where I am now, or I don't think I, we would have done that sailing trip had I not um, been with Arbonne, because that culture of people is so focused on just living your best life and doing you know, the most, the biggest and the wildest and the craziest that you can, because you get these days to enjoy and you need to honor them in that way so would you say because <clears throat> really your next step is into the sailing trip right right so would you say Arbon has really played a big role from a mindset yes, perspective 100% moving forward into even where you're at right now 100% which is crazy that that would be my big takeaway from that I don't I don't know like I've been listening to um a number of different podcasts, and a lot of it is about mindset. Mm. Um, Brian Buffini being one, uh, John uh, Gordon with uh, Positive University, mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, 10,000 Knows, who I, I turned you on to, Matt Del Negro. Mm -hmm. And I find that it's been pretty influential. Like, it, yeah. it's, it's made me think about what do I really want to do, and why am I holding back doing it? Like, why am I yes. not doing it? And Interestingly enough, I have a wife who's an entrepreneur who asks that question of herself and immediately acts on it. I mean, between having her own daycare business and now having a personal training business. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a, a living, breathing example in front of me. But mm -hmm. I think that whole personal growth thing, which can have some amount of hocus pocus to it, I, I, I know that. Uh, but there is something to be said about the power of gathering people together mm -hmm. and and... And making them feel like they can do anything that they want to if they work at it. 100%. And 
And that was the key, if they work at it. There was never that, you know, oh, just do this and yeah. the fairies will appear. Yeah. That Arbon really introduced me to growth mindset and mm-hmm. introduced me to people, um, you know, like the podcast that you're speaking about, um, John Maxwell, Rachel Hollis, just uh, Brené Brown, these people who, who have been fearless to take steps towards their greatness, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. I mean, because really... To be honest, even before your mindset of learning this stuff from from Arbon, um, and we're kind of double clicking on Arbon mainly because there's this mindset thing. And to be honest, part of my podcast is about exploring those. A lot of my podcast is about exploring those mindsets. Mm-hmm. Um, but you 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 were you were partial to that mindset already, even though you right. don't think so. You think yeah. about it, right? You took a risk uh, with music. You took a risk. Having an audition at Canada's Wonderland. You took a risk right. going to China. You took a risk going to Korea. Yeah. You took a risk taking jazz instead of the normal route. Education. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, you, were, you, you were susceptible to it, if you will. Yeah. But I have a feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to speak for you, but it sounds like Arbonne kind of crystallized things for you. I think so. I think so. I think the biggest thing that I love about myself right now is that I'm just not afraid to try. With anything, it's funny. With cooking a meal, well, just try it. With farming, just try it. You know, we just, um, I remember I used to say to Doug, well, how hard can that be? Let's just figure yeah. it out. Yeah. And then once you get past that, what if I fail? Well, who cares? If you fail, you throw it out and start over. You know, once you can get over that hump, yes. it just doesn't matter. So uh, Mark Dowd, who you know, uh, who I'm going to be interviewing uh, in a couple of weeks, um, years ago, before I knew about like personal growth or anything like that, I remember I was mulling over taking a risk at starting a company with a friend. We had to move my family an mm-hmm. hour and a half away from where we currently lived, mm-hmm. and it was risky. And to me, the risk was about what if I fail? Mm-hmm. What happens? Mm-hmm. And to Mark, the risk was what if you're wildly successful and you become a millionaire? Absolutely. What will have you? What will you have you risked? Mm-hmm. And and he said that to me constantly. And I was like, you have flipped the mindset for me, mm-hmm. um, which is more abundance as opposed to scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that was very interesting. And I, I would like to say that I have maintained that mindset. I have not. Mm. But, um, you know, being influenced by all these different podcasts and learning things, and then, of course, spending time with uh, this type of person uh, helps you as you as you travel. Yep. So... Speaking of travel, that's mm-hmm. a good segue. That yeah. Was very, that was very nice. Um, sailing trip. Right. So Doug and I were living in the suburbs of Stouffville, mm. going about our merry lives, volunteering at the school. It's you an know, ordinary life. Just ordinary. And he got to get the branding in just, as much It's as just can. an ordinary life. N-O-L. Hashtag N-O-L. He says, so he got onto this um, YouTube channel of a couple who sold their house, sold all their belongings, bought a boat, and sailed away the ocean blue. And they would post these videos. And, and we're not talking about like a carnival cruise. No, 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 no. Like they re- they bought a small boat and converted it to, they converted their lives to live on the water. And he was obsessed with this. He would get home from work and just, if you wanted to find Doug or dad, he would be on the computer under headphones watching this podcast. And he'd be like, babe, you have to see, like, look how these people are living. Look what they're seeing. Every day they wake up in the ocean and then they sail to another place. And 
it just blew his mind. And so he finally says to me, when, when I retire, when we retire, this is what I want to do. I want to sail. And I think it took now, me... Wait a minute, though. Growing up, knowing Doug yeah. as a teenager and then an adult, Doug was more likely to do an Iron Cross in gymnastics than I remember him sailing. I mean, we had the opportunity to sail at Muskoka Woods, right. and I don't remember seeing Doug James down at the, Muskoka, at the uh, sailing docks. Right. Well, Doug did know how to sail. Oh. Yeah, Doug's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. Oh, he's he, a sleeper, this Doug James. I know, he's yours. a dark horse. Yeah, it's is. true. He, his parents put him and his brother in sailing lessons down at Ashbridge's Bay. Oh, okay. I believe the intent was one day they would get a little sailboat and their boys would sail them around Lake Ontario. Okay. Yeah. So he did know how to sail, but small scale. Sure. So I don't know how long it took me. I don't remember, but I know it wasn't long. And I said to him... We shouldn't wait until you retire because we don't know when that's going to come or if it's going to happen. We need to do this now. And he thought of every reason why it couldn't work. And I just kept saying, um, you know what? If it's important to you and if it's a dream of yours, then we need to make it happen. So we started planning. And honestly, our initial plan was to sell our house, put everything in storage. Oh, you were going to go... Buy a boat, 100. go for a year. Oh, yeah. wow. We're going to pull the kids. We're just going to pull out of life and go for at least a year. And then... Well, let, let me stop you there, excited. though. But, but But why... Clearly, there's a need for disconnection. It seems to me. Like, it, right. that you, the two of you must be feeling like we need to pull away. Mm-hmm. So... Doug, at that point in his career, was working in human trafficking, which was a very, very intense unit. We did not see him a lot. Um, And it was just dark and heavy and awful and as bad as you would imagine. So he's seeing, like, the worst part of humanity at this point. Right. On a a regular basis. Right. And dealing with them and then dealing with the courts that let them go and just, you know, just that hamster wheel. Um. The thing that excited me, though, was just the energy behind it, you know, planning and and creating a new adventure and and really stepping outside the norm. That lit me up. Now, we did scale back and we ended up deciding to keep our house and maybe not be so radical about the whole thing. Why? Um, Probably because we had three kids. Right. You know, and if we all hated it. (laughs) <laughs> what if we gotten out there and none of us can, yeah. like, we're all seasick 24-7. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we we said, okay, let's do it for a shorter amount of Baby time. Baby steps. Right. So we saved for a year. We rented the smallest, oldest, dingiest boat you can imagine. This was not luxury sailing at all. And we flew to the British Virgin Islands and we lived on the water. And we caught our food whenever we could. There's, there's no restaurants there. Like it's so, you know, people think, oh, you just go into port and go hang out. They're picturing the cruise yeah, ship Yeah, we're just going to pull into Paradise Island in, in Nassau. Right. And they'll the be, casino. yeah, we'll get a mojito and yeah, just yeah. chill out. Yeah, it's, it wasn't like that. <laughs> we would, we would um, drop anchor in anchorages. So there are safe places where you can anchor. There's places you can't and so on and so forth. And um, we'd make our little dinner in our little sailboat. Um, or breakfast or lunch, whatever the case, and we'd go snorkeling and we'd 
jump off the side of the boat and we'd go find a beach and we'd go for a hike. And that was it. There was no internet. There's no movie theater to go to. There's nowhere to go grab milk if you need to. And then when we were back at the big island, we'd go in and stock up on groceries, which okay. meant... I was wondering about the practical side of things. Yeah. So we'd load into a dinghy. We'd leave the kids on the boat anchored. And Doug and I would go in and load up all the groceries. And then one, we'd like load the bags into the dinghy. We'd inevitably get soaked every single time coming back. And then we'd be handing up dripping wet bags yes. to the kids, which then we would all unpack and be on our merry way. So relationally, when mm-hmm. I think about how I force my children to take out their uh, earbuds in the van mm-hmm. and tell them to turn off their devices, mm-hmm. and then the three of them look at each other like they have two heads right. and, and aren't aware of each other's They're names. They're supposed to talk like, to each yeah, other? How does, what? So now you have basically, yeah. you've basically taken your kids out of their norm, yeah. and, and frankly, you guys are out of your norm as well. Yeah. So relationally, I mean, the first week must have been bizarre. The first week was good oh, because okay. it was all new. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, let's play Uno again. Oh, let's play Dutch Blitz. Oh, look, mommy's making pancakes on the boat. A like, month later, I don't want to play Uno anymore. Oh, my anymore. gosh. A month, a week later, it's like, <laughs> shut up. Get out of my space. I hate this. You know, and then, and then it kind of, we learned how to live that way. But it took it took some adjusting for sure. Our kids had never been to the Caribbean, so I mean that alone was amazing. Yeah, something to talk about. Yes, and um, we had amazing experiences. Like we were catching barracuda three feet long, and we um, one day we had five dolphins surround our boat and just like play in our surf for hours and hours. Like we had some pretty magical experiences. We also had some days where we hated each other and we'd all have to go to separate quarters of the boat which meant you go three steps that way you go three (laughs) steps that way you know and it it was as amazing as it was difficult and as you know everything you want to remember and everything you never want to think about again Um, but a really good experience for our family it forced us to just be just to breathe just to live. I mean, you know, there's this whole uh, mindfulness practice. Well, we were living mindfulness because there's just nothing else to do. Now, the kids. So that means the kids were out of school for what three months? You said, yeah. Just it was a month. Oh, okay, so a month. Mm-hmm. They're out of school for a month. Mm-hmm. Doug's able to take time off for a month. Yeah. You're able to to set aside everything and take time off for a yeah. month. Yeah. Can you? That's just me trying to figure out the logistics, but. The logistics weren't that hard. In fact, when we were talking about going for a year, every educator that we respect, that we spoke to, championed the idea. Oh, okay. They they were saying, your kids will never have a better education. We were just going to have them miss a year and then bump them up. Um, but a month was no problem. Every teacher worked so well with us. And it was funny. So many of them just said, just go and learn. And it's not a big deal so as far as curriculum. So tie, tie that back to, to mindset in terms of, you know, you learn some lessons along the way when you're traveling in China and Korea. Yeah. And, and Doug went to Africa two or three times before this as well. Like, he did some pretty adventurous traveling as well. So you guys are now you guys are now taking risks on a regular basis. Yeah, I guess. It's funny I don't think about it till someone brings it up, but... Well, most people kind of go, oh my crap, what, what's going to happen to my house when I'm gone for a month? 
Right. How do I pay my bills? I mean, we've right. got the internet, but in the middle of the ocean, you probably don't, I'm no, assuming. No, no. This is the landlubber uh, speaking. I don't camp. I'm Marriott. So. Well, funny you should say that. I do not like small spaces. I don't like swimming. And I don't like fish. So I was an amazing candidate <laughs> for a sailing trip. But I love that Doug was passionate about it and excited about it. And that was enough. Okay. And I love the adventure component. I love the change. You know, it's just, you sometimes just find life boring. Sure. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, if I have to get up and walk to school again and come home again and, rip, you know, just, yeah. oh my goodness, just was getting tiresome. So that moved you to, well, what are the takeaways from that trip? Right. Um... That we can we can do hard things, you know. Like that was a lot of sacrifice for for a year and a half or so, saving up. Mm-hmm. You know, um, every gift that the kids or we got for each other for birthdays or Christmas were things like sunscreen <laughs> and a life jacket and ooh a snorkel set. <laughs> Everything was related to the trip. Um, but I, our takeaways, um, our family, we. We're good together. We're we are a strong a strong unit. Um, we can be together and tolerate each other, which is great. Um, we enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're with your kids like that, and there's nothing competing for attention. You remember who they really are, and you know, although you see the worst of them, you also get to see the best of them, and it was great. Yeah, I mean, often, um, well, always, you love your children. For sure. But you don't always always like like them. them. No, for sure. Yeah. And in this case, you know, there was a lot lot more uh, like moments. It was just so special. I mean, it sounds so silly, but, you know, it would be, Mom, watch me jump off the boat. Yeah. And, you know, what we'd do? We'd just watch them jump off the boat. There was nothing to put down. There was nothing to turn off. There was nothing to film and then post. Um... Just very present. Just very present. Every day started, I would, Doug would, we would get up at, I don't know, five or so, and Doug would get the um, anchor up, and I would get the water boiling, I'd make him a cup of tea, I'd make myself a cup of coffee, and we'd sit on the deck and watch the sunrise. I mean, it was just magic. Yeah. Just slow, slow living. Actually, that's a big takeaway. Okay. Just slow down. Like, what are we running for? Well, mm-hmm. how did, but you, then you came home. Then we came home. To Life. everybody else doing fast living. Yeah. So. That was a bit, and we anticipated um, some re-entry shock. <laughs> <laughs> and funny enough, we, our flight was canceled on the way back. We got stuck in New York. When we got off that boat, we looked homeless. We had not, sh- well, you don't, there's not showers on right. the boat, right? So you had dreadlocks so, and. hundred percent. I had also fallen a million times within the last week of that trip. So my knee was taped up with electrical tape. My toes were taped together because I'd broken a toe. Like, my hair was an afro. Hermione. It was crazy. Doug traveled in his bathing suit for some reason. I don't even know why. We looked crazy. We, we, our flight was canceled. We got put up in a hotel. 
I, we were so excited to sleep in beds, first of oh, all. Yeah. It was dreamy. We all were, <laughs> I believe, unconscious. I went down to the lobby the next morning um, to get a cup of coffee, and I guess I looked like I'd been on a boat for a month because the concierge was like, ma'am, is everything okay? <laughs> he ran up to me in a panic. And I was like, I just would like a cup of coffee, please. But anyways, we were dirty and smelly. It was amazing. Okay, so then we get home. Um, I don't, this, the period being home, I don't remember it all um, too clearly. I'm sure we just assimilated back into normal. Sure. As you always do um, with fond memories of the trip. And yep. we made a photo book and um, started planning our next adventure. Okay. And what was that next adventure? Um, to buy a farm. Okay. That, mm-hmm. So you, you bought, to coin the phrase, you bought the farm. Okay. So, but I think... You had said to me, mindfulness, simplicity. So this was a mindset you were moving towards, yes? Yeah, for sure. And so is that, is that what prompted buying the farm? Yes. So my uncle has a piece of property. And every time we'd go visit him, no one was asking for the Wi-Fi password. And no one was on a device. The kids would be in the forest playing Narnia, or we'd be with the horses, or we'd be around the campfire, and it felt like you'd been away, Mm. even though we'd only be there for a few hours, and it just started to percolate for me, and I started to talk to Doug, and I'm like, I think think our next move is to the country. You know, let's get some property, and let's, let's go live less. Let's go just slow it down a bit. And he, his initial reaction was no. He did not have the reaction to my dream that, that I had, had to, to his, his dream. <laughs> but eventually, he visited a friend of his, good friends of ours who have a bison farm, and spent some time with him and came home and basically said to me, I, I see what you mean. I get, like, I, he saw it with his own eyes and in his own way and just the, the amazingness of it all. And I um, had about 10 properties lined up within 20 minutes that we could go see. We started looking at properties. We actually offered on one that did not work. And then we found this one. And we walked up um, the the laneway that you drove up to get here. And we stood right where this house is and just looked out at this and just said to ourselves, if we can wake up and go to sleep looking at that for the rest of our lives, like we'll have hit the jackpot and then you you backpedal and figure out how to make it work reverse engineering reverse engineering and then we did just that we figured out how to make it work and we um fairly quickly bought the land met with an architect designed the house had the house built um we rented in a barn at that bison farm uh, because we had to sell our house to get all the equity to start building this one and our dear friends put us up let us live in their barn which was so generous of them and um, built the house. And then we started talking about, well, this whole time we were talking about what can we do to farm. So we went through the idea of a market garden. We enrolled in farm school on, online. Doug and I would sit at night and do these courses together. We talked about chickens. We talked about goats. We talked about alpaca. I mean, everything. We just would throw it all to the wall and see what it would eventually stick. And we'd talk it out and flush out the ideas and what would be great about it, what wouldn't be great about it. Um, and we've landed on, uh, we did meat chickens for two runs now. We have egg chickens. 
We just purchased a fold of Highland cattle. We've done maple syrup. We have four beehives going. And um, the sky's the limit. Like, we just feel so open to anything and everything. So, you talked about simplifying your life, but... It sounds busier. Yes. Yeah. I know. Essentially, you, you have created more work for yourself, at least during this time period. That's fair, yes? Yes. I guess it doesn't feel like work because we just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, Doug, right now, is chopping wood, and that would be his therapy. Right. Right? Yeah. This is his favorite thing to do, to go be with the cattle, to be outside. He's so excited to make maple syrup again. Mm. Do you know how disheartening it is to make maple syrup? You take 40 liters of sap and you get one liter after 10 hours of boiling and stirring. It's the, it's like the worst return ever. But there's just something so cathartic about an open fire and it takes time. It just takes so much time. So is, is the goal to to become a, a, a sustained business as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we... Um, we will be applying for our farmer's status. We have to show a certain amount of revenue to get that. Um, and we'll hit that this next year. Mm-hmm. But our goal is to A, be self-sustaining, grow our own food. Um, we feel pretty passionate about the stuff that we're putting in our bodies. And there's just so much garbage out there. So the more we can grow, um, the better. Mm-hmm. And sort of a return to simplicity you know um so it's hard work mm -hmm. but it's worthwhile we fall into bed every night completely exhausted physically and mentally and it's the best feeling it's the best feeling and we wake up with the sun and we go to sleep with the sun (laughs) so how do people respond so first Aside from the farm, let's yeah. just go back a little bit. I'm jumping around here, but that's fine. Because one of the things that hinders people is other people, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you talked about the teachers being supportive of your sailing trip. And we'll talk about the farm. I want to hear about people's reaction to that as well. How, how did, you know, with the sailing trip, are, were there a lot of naysayers? Were, like, were there a lot of people going, you're crazy? Um, I don't know if there were a well, if there were a lot, I didn't hear from all of them. Right. We did have some in our close circle or family who just thought, you know, the safety concerns and why mm. would you do this? Most people, though, were real cheerleaders for that idea. Okay. They just thought it was really cool. Yeah. And if you think about it, month uh, doing it in a month is not outrageous. No. I expect you might have people kind of patting your hand with more concern if you said, yeah, we're selling everything and we're going to live on the sea. I believe that would be true. But what about the farm thing? I mean, my initial reaction, and, and you and I haven't connected in a while, just through following you on social media, I was like, what the heck are they doing? Mm-hmm. Are, they're building a farm? What? Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? So have you had... That would have been the common reaction to mo- for most people. Yeah. Just, they didn't understand it. Why would we do this? I mean, we were living in a really beautiful little community. Yeah. Our house was almost paid off. You know, we had kind of hit the sweet spot. And here we go, diving into debt and diving into chaos and all the rest. Um, yeah, we were cautioned by some people. They thought it was a very bad idea. Mm. A lot of people thought, what, what are your kids going to think? What about the kids? And that was a funny one for us because um, 
our general feeling was, well, we're the parents, so we make the decision, and the kids will, like, they follow. Like, they yeah. don't, they're not an equal voice yeah. in this family. That's right. Right? Uh, that was shocking for a lot of people, too. Well, yeah. what if your kids don't want to move? And, like, well... They don't have a choice. Unfortunately, they're... I, that's how we would run it, too. Right. So... We decide, you come along, hopefully. That's right. And we felt in our in our guts that it would be the best thing for them. And how have the kids responded? It's been hardest for our son, Max. Um, he you know, is in grade 12. Yeah. yeah. So it's difficult. You know, we've pulled him out of his sort of friend circle, ge- geographic friend circle. Sure. Um, he's still connected obviously through school and such, but, um, and of course, Snapchat, Snapchat, there's always Snapchat. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this thing for the girls though. It's been great. Hmm. It's been great. No, I don't think there's one, um, you know, Ooh, I wish we hadn't done it. It's fun. It's fun having animals and it's fun ATVing. Yeah. You know, like it's, it, it's just fun. Well, even, even dry, like I live pretty rural, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, us Canadians, Ontarians in particular, always have cottage country. Yes. Um, but driving in here, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I get this. Like I can see, uh, stress coming off your shoulders mm-hmm. as you pull into the area because... It feels like you're at a cottage. Yeah. We built a smaller house with a bigger kitchen. And we live outside. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, For those of you listening, I'll I'll, uh, I'll try and take some pictures and I'll I'll post it to the the Instagram page and the Facebook page and Twitter to give you an idea of, of what this all looks like. So, what's next? Aside from finishing your basement. Well, we do have some big dreams. Um, We want to build a barn, and we want to become a farm-to-table event space. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then the bigger dream to that is to have lodging available in the barn so that people can come for a weekend retreat and unplug, enjoy home-cooked, Home cooked, home cooked, and home raised food, and you know, walk in the forest, go meditate with the cows, whatever it is you need to do to recharge and refresh, and just be still for a little bit. That's on the docket. Um, there's a lot of things we want to do. Well, if you can do goat yoga, I'm sure you can do cow meditation. That's right. And you know what? Goat yoga is so dumb because goats poo non-stop and they're so they're cute don't get me wrong goats are adorable but i i don't think people think that through i'm like oh my gosh you're gonna get poo all over you however well dallas i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today my pleasure. I mean, just on a personal note it's just good to see you again Sames. it has been a long time mm-hmm. But I have to admit, I've been absolutely curious as to what the heck you and Doug have been doing between uh, jumping on a boat and taking your family with you and then, you know, buying the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, both uh, Michelle and I have been like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. So I've been, I'm glad that we were able to catch up so I could get an idea of this in combination with the podcast. Um, you've got some websites, you've got some social media handles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to put them in the, uh, the notes of the podcast mm-hmm. when I, when I, uh, when I post it, but 
The website is? jamesfamilyfarm.ca. The best place for updates, though, is Instagram. That's my media platform of choice, and it's James Family Farm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, No Ordinary Life is following James Family Farm, so if you want to, you can go to uh, No Ordinary Life for my Instagram in order to get a hold of, of Dallas as well. But again, I'll post all that stuff uh, within the uh, show notes so that you can see it and be able to access it. So guys, uh, have a great day. We're done for the day, but remember, uh, I am never too busy for your referrals, as Brian Buffini would say. Please subscribe, um, you know, rate the show, uh, get me up there in the listings or in the rankings so that uh, we can get more visibility and remember to tell your friends. So thanks very much, guys. Have a great day. You've been listening to No Ordinary Life. Thank you, Dallas James. My pleasure. My pleasure.